Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to this edition of Bring It On. We're a multiple award-winning show celebrating over 14 years as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. And also in the night's broadcast, we'll be joined by Mr. David Hummins, the one and only, the 2019 City of Bloomington Black History Month's Living Legend Award winner, and all of this in the next hour, I'm bringing on. But first, Lotus ushers in March with sights and sounds from the barrio during six performances by Dominican artist Dream, and that stands for Dominican Republic Education and Mentoring, Bachata Academy, and that starts tomorrow on Tuesday, March 5th, and on Wednesday, March the 6th, as seven musicians ages 15 through 20, along with faculty musician Marcherez de Leon share their journey with audiences in Greene County, Bloomington, Indianapolis, and Unionville. Now, the Dream Project's Bachata Academy is the first and only program dedicated to bachata, considered an intensive language training program for music. The Academy's curriculum encourages students to both listen to and express themselves through music by emphasizing improvisation, group playing, and ear training. Students in the Dream Bachata Academy are taught by faculty musician, again, Martires de Leon, considered the gold standard in bachata music. He's a legend, everyone. And Martires is Dominican Republic's leading bachata guitarist and arranger. He, along with Benjamin Domenil, join us uh, to have a conversation about this fascinating art form, bachata. Gentlemen, welcome to Bring It On. Thank gracias. you. Gracias, gracias. Uh, Thank I was, you. I was very impressed. Uh, and, and I will also state that Benjamin's going to uh, perform double duty tonight. He's not only a guest, but he has consented and will be interpreting uh, for uh, Materas. Uh, but I, I was so impressed, gentlemen, uh, when I read about this art form and its origin. But uh, Benjamin or Materas, can you tell us where this all started? Uh, what was the origins of bachata? La pregunta eh, para usted, Marty, es que ¿cuál fue los orígenes de la bachata? Eh, lo, la bachata viene, primero, buenas tardes, gracias por la oportunidad que so, me brinda. So first he wants to say uh, good afternoon and thank you for the opportunity to, to be here. Well, the pleasure is all ours. Thank you for, for consenting to join us today. Y, eh, yendo a la pregunta, la bachata viene un híbrido de, de ritmos tropicales como el bolero, el son y, y otro, otra, la, la música mexicana. Eh, nace por los años 60 en Santo Domingo, República Dominicana. Se juntan todas. So first, uh, bachata, is a, bachata comes from a mix of uh, influences. Uh, from Cuban son, uh, bolero, and Mexican music are three of the big influences on early bachata. 
and it started to come together into a new form of music in the 1960s. Sí, eh, comienzan los primeros bachateros a hacer un bolero, un bolero, lo, hacer una música con los elementos del bolero, las guitarras, bongo, maraca y bajo. So the first bachateros uh, were playing principally bolero, and they would the instrumentation that they would use was with guitars, uh, maracas, and bass, ese and, and bongo. Ese ritmo fue tomando la dominicanidad, este, se fue acelerando, y fueron los primeros bachateros narrando su, su sentimiento diario, su vivencia diaria. So the music developed and, and took on a more and more of a Dominican flavor, and the artists were expressing their aspects of their daily life and, and the emotions of, of the culture, of the Dominican culture. Sí, alegría, tristeza. Happiness, sadness. Eh, melancolía, de amor, desamor. Uh, melancholy, love, and, and there's a Spanish word for the, the when love doesn't work out. Which is this amor? We call that the, the heartbreak song. That's right, heartbreak. Um, how old would you say this art form is? And I, I hear, as I hear correctly from you, that the genesis of this uh, came from the community as a way to express their feelings, as most music really comes from, uh, from various communities, but this was a way to express one's feelings and thoughts and life in general and... And how, how old is this art form? So th the Dominican Republic was under a dictatorship uh, until 1961, from 1930 mm -hmm. to 1961. Uh, and the dictator, uh, uh, Rafael Trujillo, basically prohibited uh, recording music. There was a little bit that went on, but it was very tightly controlled. Um, and so when he was assassinated in 1961, that's when the first, almost immediately, within months, the first bachatas were recorded. Mm. So there was a... A time before that is a kind of just is a nebulous time where we don't really know what was going on. The, it mus the music scene was really live music being performed and not recorded. And then uh, in the early 60s was when the first bachatas were recorded and they, they were variations of regional Caribbean and, and Mexican styles uh, or Caribbean and Latin American styles, but already with a a kind of Dominican accent, a Dominican flavor to them. Now, as I understood, we said earlier that uh, Materius is is a legend and this this, uh, this music form uh, dating back, um, and he doesn't look a day over 35 or, or 30 even, but... Uh, <laughs> parece que tú tienes 30 años. Bueno, tengo 34 tocando bachata. He's, he's been playing as a professional musician for 34 years. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so child prodigy then. <laughs> uh, now, help me out. Was this music a means to convey um, not secret messages, but to convey messages that flew under the radar of the oppressive government? Que si la bachata se usaba para entregar mensajes al pueblo que, que quizá que la, el gobierno quería censurar. Yo diría que sí, porque tenemos bachatas de corte social, protesta y, 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 y sí, claro, la bachata se usó 
se ha usado como, como canción de, de protesta también y de llevar mensaje. That it was it was used uh, for those purposes. It was used to, for social social messaging. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that was Matilda's answer. I, I'll sort of add to that that many of the songs uh, celebrate the lifestyle of the the poorest of the poor. And in a way, even while that wasn't, it wasn't necessarily making a direct political statement, just the fact that those, that they were celebrating that with a kind of pride, mm -hmm. that in itself was a, was a social statement. Uh, similar to one of America's treasured art forms, and we call it the blues. And uh, of course, Elements spoke of the uh, life uh, at certain um, uh, financial levels, if you will, and, and just existing day to day. Uh, making lemonade out of lemons and, you know, singing your pain and just expressing the pain that you had, but yet you hear a lot, so many elements of joy in that music, and it has just weathered time. Yeah, I, I'd say that's a, that's a good analogy. Um, your inspiration uh, for this music, did you learn at the feet of uh, a grandfather or father, or how did you learn this music? Que cómo, ¿Cómo usted aprendió? ¿Qué fue su inspiración? Eh, bueno, le, desde pequeño escuchaba bachata. Antes mi papá tocaba, mi padre, mi papá tocaba guitarra y a mí la guitarra me cautivó desde que yo la vi por primera vez. Siempre desde niño quería tocar guitarra. So fr from a young age, he was listening to bachata all the time, and his father also was a guitar player, and so that particularly captivated him and inspired him. Sí, y la bachata, al ser una música que se tocaba con guitarra, me llamó, me llamó mucho la atención, el sonido de la guitarra. And so bachata being primarily a guitar-based music, that made him fascinated with the guitar, with the sound of the guitar. Aparte de que en, en Santo Domingo, donde yo me crié, se escuchaba bachata a diario. And where he grew up, in, in the area of Santo Domingo where he grew up, everybody was listening to bachata all the time. Uh, I, I heard uh, Matiris use the phrase bolero, and, and I knew growing up there were some songs that uh, were played that, uh, in, in identifying those songs, they were put in a genre of bolero. Um, and I always sort of associated that with love songs, uh, passionate love songs. Am I right? Yeah, the, the uh, boleros primarily are loves, like uh, I was saying earlier, love or ballads or, the, or heartbreak, or heart, which is just an asp another <laughs> aspect of love. Yeah, there's a term that's used in the Dominican Republic, also to describe this this style of music, which is mm -hmm. música de amargue, mm -hmm. and amargue. Uh, The literal translation would be bitterness, mm -hmm. uh, but it's also, it's kind of a b bittersweet feeling. It's that feeling of, of kind of, of a love that's maybe not attainable, or it's that love that's kind of painful at the same time. So, so it expresses one's yearning and longing for maybe unrequited, unrequited love. Um, yeah. Let me, let me ask you, is this music played at celebrations that you mentioned, such as weddings, um, uh, Quinceañeras, uh, funerals, or what, whatever. ¿Cuáles son los lugares, las situaciones donde tradicionalmente se toca la bachata? 
el pueblo llano, el, 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 cualquier lugar público que sea, eh, de, se junten dos o tres gente bien de, del pueblo, las raíces del pueblo, escucha bachata. Desde siempre, porque hoy en día se escucha más en lugares más, vamos a decir, más de una clase social más elevada, pero al principio era bien marginada, pero siempre en la casa de, de los pueblos, en la fiesta de la, del campesino, principalmente se escuchaba bachata. So, it used to, in the nowadays bachata it will be played in all kinds of different settings and, it, and people of higher social status and their gatherings will play bachata, but it used to be that it was heard primarily uh, in people of the, in, in more marginalized people, people from the countryside or people that were sort of from the ghetto areas of the cities. Um, and, you know, for those people, it was always something they would play at home, they would play in a gathering with friends uh, or, then, you know, any kind of get-together or party. So I think uh, during the time of its origin, after the assassination uh, of uh, this very uh, uh, harsh, uh, cruel president, uh, that, that administration, it was a time for people to rally behind something that would galvanize them, uh, those who had been going through much suffering, and as you said, singing their pain and singing for a future that was full of joy, um, singing for a future for their children, were those the elements of Machada? Was it, the marginalization didn't end with the, assassina the assassination of Trujillo. Mm -hmm. You might even say that it began then. Mm. Um, is that the turmoil that, that occurred after that? Uh, I mean, that was when Bachata, first of all, emerged as a kind of commercial music style, as, m as something more than just what people were playing when they were hanging around or in a bar. It became something that was more official, and that inspired a, a, an official reaction uh, from certain social classes where uh, they felt that this music was, first of all, a bad influence or somehow emblematic of, of a side of, of the Dominican culture that they didn't want, uh, they didn't appreciate, and they, didn't, they wanted to uh, censor in a way. And so in, those, uh, in the 60s and 70s and, and into the 80s, Bachata was uh, never on television. It was uh, there. Were, there was only one national radio station that would play it. Uh, it, it if it was talked about, it was always uh, to negatively, um, and uh, that changed gradually in, in the 1980s. And part of what changed it was that it became very popular internationally. Hmm. Um, and then, for instance, you had. Uh, Many Dominicans migrated to the United States. They were often from from the the social circles of people that would listen to bachata. In the United States, they had more opportunities. They came back with money, um, or you know, relatively much better off. And so, and then, and they came back wanting to blast bachata, and that kind of changed. And they came back, you know, looking well off and playing bachata, and that changed the the the. Uh, the way that people thought about it a bit. Um, but, in, you know, going back to the, the even the word bachata and bachata versus bolero, um, in those early days, uh, uh, until the end of the 1980s, bachata musicians didn't say that they played bachata. Bachata wasn't a word 
that was used by the by the musicians to describe what the music they were making. It was only used to criticize the music. It was used by it was a term that was coined to to make fun of the music. Um, and <laughs> what they if you look at the bachata at a forty five a bachata forty five from the nineteen sixties, from the nineteen seventies, from the nineteen eighties, it would say instead the rhythm that was being played, which often was bolero, would say this is you know such and such song, it's a bolero, and they might say okay, well this this one is a waltz or this one is a merengue, and this was all in a family of guitar music that other people were calling bachata. Later on, eventually the the term was used to embrace was embraced <coughs> by the musicians and mm-hmm. and it became uh, now widespread. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you've just turn, turned in, uh, tun- turned in, tuned in, or listening, uh, we are speaking um, <coughs> with two gentlemen who are representing uh, the Dominican artists called Dream, which is Dominican Republic Education and Mentoring, the Bachata Academy. We have with us here uh, Professor Martirez de Leon and Benjamin Dominiel. We've been talking about uh, bachata and we're going to continue on with this conversation, but we're going to play a little sampling of bachata, and the name of this selection is Necessite, and uh, you're listening to Bring It On on WFHB. Un, dos, Toto, Toto, 
just heard a little sampling of Bachata, uh, and this is from the CD entitled Bachata Haiti, and the name of the track was Necessite. And um, I asked both Benjamin and Matires uh, to share with us the origins of the song and, and the meaning behind it. So I'll defer now to, to Benjamin, give us a little uh, background on that song that we just heard. So th this song uh, is originally a, a Haitian compa uh, by uh, uh, one of the great Haitian artists, uh, Toto Necessite. He was at, that's his artist name, and actually he was named after the song. Mm -hmm. uh, Necessite, the most direct translation of the title is Necessity, and a song about how it is to live with, with when you have you know, lots of problems, and, you, and especially when you are poor. Uh, and... Um, it was adapted to bachata by Martires. He's the guitar player on it, um, and it's part of a, a production called Bachata IT, where uh, we, uh, I'm the producer of the album, where we were working with uh, Haitian singers and composers uh, of bachata, and uh, El Zorro Negro, who's the singer of the song, is one of the most uh, famous uh, Haitian Dominican bachateros, um, and. Uh, there have been a number of, of uh, successful Haitian bachateros. Mm -hmm. Usually th it's, it's not talked about that they're Haitian, uh, with one exception, which is uh, uh, Félix Cumbe, who, who kind of, that's part of his identity as an artist. But many of them would even hide or, or not say, w they would say that they're Dominican uh, for fear of, for a very real, real fear of deportation uh, or of being boycotted as an artist. But it's sort of known without being said. And certainly uh, among the ha Haitian di diaspora in the Dominican Republic, and there's a large uh, population of, of Haitian immigrants or people descended from Haitian immigrants, and they love bachata and have there are certain styles of bachata that they uh, gravitate, to gravitate towards. And, and uh, the Haitian bachata artists tend to be popular, not, you know, not surprisingly, with that group. So you would say that there has been, am I correct in assuming that there's been a heavy Haitian influence on this art form or um, through collaborations with Haitian and Dominican Republic artists, there's been this beautiful melding of talent to promote this, this sound? Well, I'll, I'll have a quick answer, then I'll pass it to Martínez, okay. who has more of a, you know, an experience in the history. Um, Definitely, between the two, uh, the two countries are sharing the same island, but they're speaking different languages, um, and they have uh, definitely different musical cultures uh, that are that are quite distinct. Um, that being said, there long been there has long been uh, musical exchange, and there's also been a long history of immigration from the, the Haiti to the Dominican Republic. Um, they both have uh, styles of merengue that are, in, in Haiti it's called compa, in Dominican Republic it's called merengue. There's similarities between those two styles. The Haitians say that they invented it, the Dominicans say that they invented it. And in bachata too, uh, there, are, you know, there are guitar styles of compa, for instance, that have guitar lines that sound a little bit like the guitar lines in bachata. So there is definitely some exchange. It's never really been documented. In the Dominican Republic, it's not something that Dominicans are so proud of their music that it's not something they 
necessarily want to explore. Hmm. And there's a, and there's a, l a rivalry on both sides. So uh, it's a kind of delicate matter and hard to know, you know, where one ends and one starts. But I'll pass it to Martínez now. La, la pregunta era, porque estamos hablando de este proyecto de, sí. de, de Bachata Haití, sí. y la pregunta era que si la música haitiana o artistas haitianas han influenciado la, la bachata, el desarrollo de la bachata. Eh, yo pienso que en sí, al ser un, do, dos naciones que, que están en la misma isla, siempre escuchábamos música haitiana, compa, y... Y la música no tiene barrera, no tiene, no tiene, no tiene separación, diría yo. Y los músicos e incluso grandes merengues dominicanos son de, de origen, de, vienen de, del compa y de la música antillana, que es de donde se ha influenciado el compa. Y grandes merengues, incluso Juan Luis Guerra ha grabado merengues que son compa. Yo pienso que sí, que la música... Se, se, se absorben todos esos todo eso movimientos culturales, mu musicales. So he said that in music there the, 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 the borders and the frontiers that exist in, in you know, other parts of life don't really exist in music and there's been a lot of uh, musical exchange between the two cultures and specifically he, he knows of many uh, hit merengues that were adaptations of, of Haitian compas. Mm -hmm. um, and he mentioned one uh, by, by Juan, Luis, Juan Luis Guerra, for instance. Uh, it, it's amazing. I, I was thinking earlier when we first started um, this conversation that while we have perhaps a language barrier, music always tends to be the great international bridge, um, getting thoughts and, and feelings expressed through uh, you know, an art form, art form of music. Um, we had talked earlier about DREAM, and we have not spent a lot of time talking about the Dominican Republic Education and Mentoring Bachata Academy. In the remaining time that we have, let's, let's talk about that. Uh, how did that start, and what's its mission? Um, what can a participant expect going through that program? Well, the, the Bachata Academy, the DREAM project is the umbrella, and that's... Uh, it's an educational organization that's involved in all kinds of different uh, initiatives for young people uh, in the Dominican Republic. The Bachata Academy is one of those programs. Um, I, I started that in collaboration with DREAM in 2013, um, and I've been producing bachata for a long time, not as long as Maktid has been playing, um, but uh, I had the opportunity to partner with, with this great organization and I uh, started bringing in uh, musicians that I had been working with to teach there. Um, and uh, about a year and a half ago, Martírez uh, came in as the, as the musical director and the guitar teacher. Um, and uh, actually, you know, part of wha what we were talking about earlier about the way that bachata is viewed in the Dominican Republic, uh, the way that it was, and to some extent still is, one of the repercussions of that is that uh, up until the founding of this uh, Bachata Academy, there was no organization teaching bachata in the Dominican Republic or anywhere in the world. Um, so here's this very successful music form, very popular, not just in the Dominican Republic, but internationally, and no, nowhere anywhere is anybody teaching it how to play it. Um, so I thought, to me, that seemed like, well, it's unfortunate, but it's also a great opportunity 
because you have all these kids that are very enthusiastic and you have an audience that's enthusiastic and if you can organize these kids and, and help them to learn how to play there's, there's you know a, a great career for them and they can play locally they can play internationally and you know and spread that good news that that musical joy the the, the love that comes through music uh, all over um, so it's an intensive program that's intended to help people become professional musicians, which means these kids are in school, uh, in music class, uh, five to six days a week. Uh, some of them playing, you know, training hours every day. Um, so, and and now we're in the sixth year, and and the the fruits are beginning to bear, and we're very happy to have this group of seven uh, of our students here in in Bloomington and here in Indiana are performing and and. Uh, I, I hope that some of the listeners get a, have a chance to come see them play because they're really amazing. Well, well, let's let's talk about that. Uh, you have several events coming up, and I know that you were wanting to confirm uh, with the scheduling uh, with the Lotus webpage if anyone's interested to learn more about other groups as, as well as this particular group performing. We do know that tomorrow um, there is a performance, but then on Wednesday, March sixth. Uh, a number of students will be performing uh, along with Martires um, at 105 South Rogers Street beginning at 7 p.m. And at first, the first portion of that will be uh, workshop participation and demonstrations led by Ritmos Latinos. Uh, and all this begins at 7. The venue will be the newly renovated Lotus Fire Bay venue, which is located at 105 South Rogers Street. Uh, we have a few mo- more minutes left, and before uh, you both leave, let me let me get an understanding. Are you both li- residing in America now, or have traveled to America? We've traveled <coughs> to America. Uh, I actually split my time between New York and the Dominican Republic. Martires lives in the Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. The school is in the Dominican Republic, All right. uh, in a town called Cabarete. And and can you please apologize for us for the twelve degree weather? <laughs> that he is experiencing right now. He, he's he's gotten a little frog in his throat, I think, and, and it may in large part be to the change in the Indiana weather. Dice que lo siente por la temperatura, por el Any parting words that uh, you'd like to share with us before we transition out? Hay algo que usted quería decir al público antes que terminamos con... Bueno, invitarlo a que sigan la Academia de Bachata y que escuchen Bachata al público, que es una música preciosa y que sale del alma, una música eh, bonita, y que allá en, le, en la Academia de Bachata de Dream Project estamos, tenemos la misión de pasar generación tras generación nuestra cultura de la Bachata. So, uh, he says, come see the Bachata Academy play, Listen to bachata, and and it's a so, it's a kind of music that comes from the soul, mm-hmm. and that uh, there's something there for everybody, and that in the bachata academy, uh, our our mission is to transfer this this uh, music to a new generation, um, and I, I think also the the song that we're going to end on, uh, I wanted to mention is a, is a song that Martir has picked, as a song that inspired him as as a child. Uh, when he was first 
uh, learning to play bachata. And it's from the old style of bachata, which was played with all acoustically. Hmm. And and what is? why don't you do introduce that song? What's the name of it? It's called Yo Pagaré La Cerveza. It's by <laughs> Julio Mar- Morales. Julio Morales. And that the translates to uh, I will pay for the beer. And that's th- in the song, those are the words that the uh, the protagonist's girlfriend is saying because he's gotten in trouble and gotten drunk and he doesn't have any money to pay for for his drinks and so it's when when we were talking about that those social statements society was saying that a woman shouldn't go out a woman shouldn't drink she should you know it was a very it was a very conservative society and, and in some ways still is and so this was like rebelling so much against that that the woman that was supposed to be so pure in this song, the heroine is the opposite, is, is this woman that likes to go out and drink and party and, so, and, and to the point where she's bailing out her boyfriend. On that note, we will hear uh, the name of the song again. Yo pagaré la cerveza. And uh, we'll be back to say goodbye to our guests afterwards.
again, Benjamin, the name of that song was? Yo pagaré la cerveza. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow I got the visual of, of a woman buying uh, her boyfriend a beer. Uh, our thanks to Professor Martiris de Leon, who represents, and Benjamin Dominiel, who represents the Dominican artist with DREAM, Dominican Republic Education and Mentoring Bachata Academy. Uh, they joined us this evening to enlighten us on the history of Bachata and the organization and to promote some upcoming events uh, again on the evening of March 6th, which is uh, Wednesday. The Dream Bachata Academy will perform immediately after a bachata dance workshop. So there's a dance element that we didn't talk about this time, but there's a dance element that will be led by Ritmos Latinos beginning at 7 p.m. Now, this is free and open to the public. Both the workshop and performance take place in the newly renovated Lotus Fire Bay venue located at 105 South Rogers. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having us. Muchas gracias, muchas gracias. Thank you. All right. Again, an, another sampling from the Bachata Haiti CD project, and uh, Bring It On has become Bachata Central this evening, and I enjoyed that interview and, and uh, the origins of Bachata. Um, the Lotus Spring season events continue through March and into April, and over the course of seven weeks, Lotus will host and co-host several performances and activities that feature artists representing seven nationalities, including the U.S. 
Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringingon at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringingon at wfhb.org. At the top of the hour, we share that we be joined by the distinguished man himself, Mr. David Hummins, who really needs no introduction, but I'm going to do it because I'm obligated to do so. (laughs) He is the 2019 City of Bloomington Black History Month's Living Legend Award, and truly David epitomizes the role of a servant leader. Uh, He's an emeritus member of the City of Bloomington Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Birthday Celebration Commission and has served on the City's Commission on the Status of Black Males. Uh, He's worked with Bloomington United. Uh, the Northside Exchange Club, where we have collaborated over the years for the Jimmy Ross uh, Fish Fry to raise funds for diversity initiatives. And he's working uh, with a community organization that I'm proud to be a part of, and that's the Noah's Ark Community Conversations on Race, Racism, Religion, and Healing. And as mentioned at his award presentation during Saturday's uh, 15th Annual City of Bloomington Black History Month uh, gala, The city of Bloomington, it was said of David, the city of Bloomington is a better community. Indiana University is a better campus. And we are all better people because of David's life, legacy, and commitment to social justice, leadership, mentorship, and compassion for others. And now it is our pleasure to welcome David Hummins to bring it on. Well, thank you very much, Clarence. Uh, uh, The other day when I accepted the award uh, as a so-called living legend, I said, I asked myself how I got to that point, and then I realized, well, I started really working at IU in October of 1917, so that's, oh, how, wow. I got to, that's how I got to be a legend. I've been here uh. for 48 <laughs> years. Uh, but, I, you know, I accept this, the, the honor with heartfelt humility and mm-hmm. pride, and especially since it comes with, from the city of Bloomington and Indiana University, really, because Indiana University is a partner mm-hmm. in, in, uh, in uh, community and student engagement. And so... Uh, I'm very honored to uh, uh, receive this award. Well, when I first met David, uh, here's a big disclosure. Uh, this was not 1970, but it wasn't too many years after that. I remember seeing this distinguished man in the bursar's office. He had a big afro, jet black hair. That's true. And standing tall and stately. And, you know, I, I through the years, I've watched him just lose his hair. No, <laughs> but I've seen him involved mm-hmm. in all types of projects, programs. He's always been a, a person to offer sage advice, and because he knew the he had institutional knowledge like not too many people, he knew where to direct you and, and where to get some answers or where to get some help in time of need. So uh, you have done so much just on the campus of IU, but also in the community. Uh, we spoke about the Northside Exchange Club, and I've had the, the privilege of working with you for years and, and putting together a singular event that really just captured the spirit of a gentleman who preceded us and uh, left his indelible mark on the lives of so many, and that, of course, was Dr. Jimmy Ross. And uh, that fish fry, we have talked about those who have been continual listeners of Bring It On. We have always talked about people coming out to support that and thereby support the the vision of helping students who are coming along. Um, Talk about some of the other things you've been involved with here. Well, first of all, let me give a plug to that. Uh, 
I'm a member of the Northside Exchange Club, which is a service organization just like many others in Bloomington. And our primarily youth engagements are prevention of child abuse and also uh, uh, providing uh, support for uh, uh, youth and youth centers and youth activities. And mm-hmm. that's one of our major things. Jimmy uh, was a former president of the Northside Exchange Club. And... Uh, and so we have a fish fry fundraiser every year where the money has, has up till now basically gone for prevention of child abuse initiatives. We're talking about trying to expand some of that to actually scholarships. But Jimmy was a person who was the first, I think, major administrator in the Big Ten, especially in the student service areas, That's right. as being director of uh, the uh, financial aid office. And he used that very much as a leader to... Mm-hmm. Uh, to champion the underserved. And now when I say underserved, it wasn't just black people or white mm-hmm. people, but he all walks of life. He really took he really took a special interest in. And he fostered, he fostered, he nurtured them and he also uh, encouraged them to engage in the community. And uh, what I learned from him more than ever anything else was that I learned the importance of collaborating and the and the and forming partnerships, irrespective of who they're with, mm-hmm. uh, they could be not for nonprofits. They could be individuals. They could be uh, a multicultural list of organizations. And Jimmy really taught me how to do that. I can remember when we sat in the old registration in the old days. That's right. Uh, well, we'd have a problem with with a student that may have an overwhelming problem. So what did we do? You found we got, it. You found the means. You found it somewhere. We got the bursar. Yeah. And the assistant bursar, who is myself, the director of financial aid, who's Jimmy, the registrar, uh, the admissions people, and we all sat there. It might even take an hour. And we collaborated and resolved, and we resolved problems. And you put a package together. Now, now one person stands mm-hmm. out in, in our memories because uh, whenever we hear this gentleman speak uh, and, and recall his days at IU, he always begins by saying, I lived in a dorm lounge because there was no room but yet I lived there and I wasn't really registered to be there and when discovered I was directed to go to some people who I never met and that gentleman gave you and Dr. Ross so much praise and that of course was Tavis Smiley. Yeah Tavis came here a very bright guy but he had a a onerous situation he didn't really have anybody in his family to sign off on on the FAFSA and things like that. And so he was kind of caught betwixt and between. Mm-hmm. And he, he was a very bright and very articulate guy, but he he didn't really have any resources. And we had to sit down with a lot of different kinds of people to try to resolve a problem which at first blush looked unresolvable. And that's when I learned that uh, partnerships, uh, collaborations, mm-hmm. true leadership would really help. So we all got together. You remember the old no-pay status? That's what they put you in when they couldn't defer you, but they knew somehow you were going to get in school. Right. And uh, <laughs> I, I recall there was a time when I was in school uh, that uh, there was a community of students from Nigeria. Right. And there was civil unrest in their home country. And you know, well, you know, their, their two neighboring country, Lagos, Lagos, there was just issues. There was right, uh, right. Tr- strife and turmoil. Mm. And one of the things that happened is that their accounts were frozen. Right. So here they are in America, in, in, in Bloomington, Indiana, attending Indiana University without a way to, to pay uh, their, uh, their fees. So uh, the, the kindness of the hearts of so many professors and, of course, perhaps... Uh, 
uh, a, a mass letter or memo going out to everyone to show compassion, compassion mm-hmm. from sources like yourself and others. Uh, they were allowed to, I guess the phrase was audit the class and pay later, or or what was the status they were given to sort of reconcile? It, it, it was a problem that we, we were reasonably sure was going to be resolved. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we uh, and we sort of just put it in no no uh, pay status until, but what I learned from Jimmy more than probably anybody else since I've been here, in addition to the other people that I talked about, is mm-hmm. that you've got to be a leader. That's right. And uh, and he was a leader, and, and then I worked with him because he ended up working, Tavis ended up working for me. Mm-hmm. So I ended up being his mentor. I ended up taking him through some rough, rough patches. Mm-hmm. I ended up pushing him to get engaged in other organizations, and that's what all of us really did. Right. But and but the most important thing that happened to Tavis, there were two things. One, he joined the university debate team. That's right. Not, Found his voice. Right. <laughs> or had his voice, but right. refined his voice. He was encouraged to join a fraternity. He was, inter- he was encouraged to get engaged on campus. He was not left idle. And, 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 and basically everything ultimately worked out. And uh, so that's, a, that's an example of somebody. But we have a number of students mm-hmm. where collaborations and uh, partnerships have, have really worked in the past. And, of course, the rest of it is, uh, is history. Tavis came on, went on to become a voice in our society. Right. One thing that I really appreciate is that, you know, IU, like many research level one institutions um, here in the Big Ten or wherever, uh, we're not uh, immune to, to problems on campus. Uh, there have been issues. There have been protest marches. Uh, the, the recent spate of marches is nothing new to me. I've seen and actually have participated in some. And But yet administrators, uh, cool, calm, collected administrators like yourself were always there to sort of speak wisdom to a lot of people who perhaps uh, had ulterior motives and uh, spoke the straight talk to us to let us know to achieve what you're looking for. Let me suggest some ways to do it. And we, and we listened. And I just want to say on behalf of those many organizations, uh, thank you for that. Well, thank you. Uh, I want to talk about community th- involvement. Um, you, of course, uh, you've worked with uh, Reverend Butler. You've worked with, oh, my gosh, you know, I could start rallying off names. We'll be here all night. But you worked with many in the community. And what have been some of your most satisfying uh, experiences to date? Um, well, one of the things we do on campus, and I'll get back to the community quickly, is is that we work to, uh, to once a student gets to to campus, uh, we, we work to really get that student engaged, and we try to get them engaged in something on, on a social justice platform. Mm-hmm. So we want them to join not-for-profit, nonprofits. We want them to get to meet their professors. We want them to, uh, if they can take leadership courses, or we can find a way to provide some type of leadership training for them. We want them to get involved in that. We want our faculty staff to get involved in uh, in terms of this campus being more welcoming, we want them to get involved in implicit bias training. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of us has bias. We can't believe we can't begin to deal with problems and climate in the community until we have some exposure to it, implicit bias, recognizing that all of us are <laughs> biased in some way. That's that's very expensive. We want them to have mentors. We want students to be involved in implicit bias training. And so we want to uh, conduct uh, multicultural events during the year so that our young freshmen, irrespective of their 
first-year students, ir irrespective of their race, gender, culture, or whatever, get involved in a multicultural atmosphere because, as you know, this campus is becoming increasingly more multicultural, yes. and you have to have the skills to deal with all walks of life. You might even, and I don't want to throw this on you, but you might even talk about our our interface race and racism project for a minute. You know, as you, you said, implicit bias, and we got to talk about some of the other uh, uh, real qualifiers. Um, David and I have had the pleasure of working with this organization called Noah's Ark. David uh, preceded me in his involvement with that organization, but basically here's the concept, as simple as it is. Uh, gather people from uh, sort of a variety of uh, walks of life, uh, at different ethnicities, different walks of life, gather them together, uh, hopefully no larger than eight or ten, a, a manageable group, have a facilitator or two, and over a nine-month or a specified period have conversations that do deep dives. I mean, we start off sort of gingerly, but then we do a deep dive on, on those sort of third-rail issues that we as a society still don't like to talk about and, and, and really uh, uh, delving in the area of uh, race and uh, racism, um, religion, how religion helps you cope with so much. So I'm fortunate to be a facilitator. I work with a design team uh, in this organization and, and Dave uh, preceded me. He has worked in various uh, capacities with the organization and uh, it is an eye-opener. Um, people who, you know, have an aha moment or, or this moment where the dots connect and they find themselves saying, well, you know, I have to examine my heart and in my heart I've harbored this, that, and the other. But then we talk about healing and we're progressing now. So we're getting into more of how faith helps us and undergirds us as we uh, process uh, a lot of what's going on in society. With a few moments left, um, if you will, talk about Many people don't know this, but David is an avid skier. I don't know if he does a lot of, a lot of skiing right now, but th this brother loves to go out to Colorado. And uh, you were going off uh, the slopes and, and, and leaping off of uh, those, those uh, ski mounds and doing 50-footer glides in the air, right? But, uh, uh, well, okay. Do Dr. Marshall and ourselves and a gentleman named uh, Wallace Webb, who proceed, who is, who's a little older than both of us, who just died, incidentally. Mm -hmm. We used to ski a lot in Colorado. I wouldn't say that. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say that we were expert skiers, but we had a lot of energy. Okay. And uh, and actually Wallace Webb, but he was he was really an outstanding skier. Uh, Dr. Marshall and I, uh, we could ski pretty well, but we actually had more energy than we necessarily had expertise. Okay. But and we all really enjoyed ourselves, and we made an annual event and family events in terms of doing that. You know, um, and then we've had conversations. And I'm I'm, I'm infringing on our our. our uh, engineer she has graciously considered to give us a little bit more time you talk at length anyone that knows you about his, your history of growing up in Indianapolis and the things you've seen and your father was a tremendous influence on your life as a as a physician you've seen a lot of changes um, in the 45 seconds we have can you sum up that I know that's unfair we have to have, just have you back but kind of sum that up a little bit for us well, it was actually my grandfather who grandfather. migrated up from Kentucky. Mm -hmm. uh, he was probably the only one of a number of uh, siblings who graduate, graduated from grade school. And he managed to work his way up through, uh, through basically mentors in Kentucky, both black and white, uh, and, and to go to college and to eventually move to Indianapolis to go to Indianapolis Medical College, which mm -hmm. was the that later consolidated with another medical school and became Indiana University Medical School, hmm. 
but he was a pillar builder. He understood how to partner with all kinds of different people in order to create institutions. Uh, my father also followed in his footstep and went to IU Medical School during, during, the, during the Depression in the 30s, and that was not an easy thing. Your father went to medical school a little later on, and I'm sure he has stories, but those are the people mm -hmm. that were really the foundation on which we really learned how to be leaders, learned how to be mentors, and also learned that it takes a variety of mentors and kinds of people to push you on. They were doing the village concept way before it was a popular phrase. Uh, and I'll tell you this as we close out, that my father once told me that when he was in medical school and he saw a lot of his peers dropping because of the rigors, there were a group of Caucasian um, uh, students who said, Clarence, we're going to work with you. Um, we want you to succeed. And he, he's honest and forthcoming with that. And, you know, as you said, you sit at the feet of your, your, your parents, you, you learn so much. Time, as always, that elusive thing has gotten away from us. But I just wanted everyone to get a chance to hear from my good friend, who's famous now. Uh, he gets free parking in Bloomington, I believe, is one of the gifts. Um, <laughs> With uh, a sticker. Oh uh, Yeah, our thanks to uh, Mr. Mm -hmm. David Hummins, the 2019 City of Bloomington Black History Month Living Legend Award winner. We want to thank him for joining us this evening uh, for a brief time to share is an intimate look into his life and numerous contributions that he's made and it continues to make in our con community. Also, once again, our thanks to Professor uh, Martiris de Leon and Benjamin Dominiel, who represent Dominican artists with Dream, Dominican Republic Education and Mentoring, Bachata Academy, uh, for joining us and giving us that rich history. Our show is produced uh, by yours truly, Clarence Boone, uh, with help from WFHB News Department Director Wes Martin. Tonight's board engineer, who did a tremendous job, was Chantal Lafontaine. And our original theme music was created by Jamil Effia, with additional background tracks by David Baker, which, uh, while we did not hear tonight, we heard a lot of bachata music, which got us going. And for w WFHB, I'm Clarence Boone. And tune in next week, Monday, March 11th at 6 p.m., for another exciting edition of Bring It On, right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.